You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have to tell you though, I had to, at some point, make Mm. a decision that I was going to reject the standard, the white standard of beauty. I had to. Hello, and welcome to the Miseducate podcast. My name is Sarah Gathugu, host and owner of the Miseducate blog and now podcast. This podcast is here to expand upon prior and future blog posts and is centered around having open and honest conversations about the aspects of life we have been misinformed on. Whether that be relationships, religion, culture, you name it, I'm here to talk about it. Each episode, I will be talking about a different topic and inviting guests to talk about their own experiences of miseducation and what they are doing to re-educate themselves. This podcast aims to make you laugh, think and inspire conversations for change. None of us have it right. We have all been miseducated. On this episode, I am joined by the wonderful and amazing Jennifer Holness, a Black Canadian director, writer, producer, among a myriad of other titles, as we discuss her documentary, Subjects of Desire, centered on the rooting of North American beauty standards within Miss Noir. We discuss self-love, beauty as capital, colorism, and how Black people are implemented within white supremacy patriarchy. So, without further ado, let's get into it. So firstly, I am joined by Jennifer Holness, Canadian director, writer, producer, and president of Hungry Eyes Media, which bring looks to bring a fresh, authentic perspective to telling powerful, thought-provoking stories. Some of these award-winning stories include Stateless, centered on the Haitian and Dominicans of Haitian descent, stripped of their citizenship by the Dominican Republic's Supreme Court in 2013, the soon-to-be-released No Harm, centered on the impact of medical racism on Black women, and multi-award-winning Subjects of Desire, which we're going to dive deeper into in this episode. Welcome to the Miseducate podcast, Jennifer. I am truly honoured to be speaking with you. Um, Firstly, how are you? How are you today? How are you feeling? 
Uh, uh, thank you for having me. And um, I'm, I'm excited as well to have this conversation. And, you know, uh, you know, when we first, when we said hello, I, I mentioned the Brooklyn shooting. And I think that it's hard for me as a Black Canadian who spends a lot of time in the U.S. and is just mm-hmm. so connected to American culture to, to sort of like be in this moment right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's like today's one of those days where I'm just conceiving of what all this means and white supremacy, anti-Black racism, mm-hmm. and, you know, and the work that I do that really tries to expose or bring to light how some of these dynamic work, you know, and it's just, it's, so it's, it's, it's a tough day to be honest yeah. because of that. But, um, but besides that, um, it is spring and I have a new puppy. So <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not, I have a brand new puppy. Yeah. Days old, so I, I'm pretty good. <laughs> That's good. It's good to hear. Um, before I ask you any further questions, I would firstly like to thank you for such a thought-provoking documentary. As you said, right now is not the best of times as a Black person and as part of the Black diaspora right now. Um, but this documentary for me was just so striking, so I felt so seen watching it and I felt like, wow, finally we're having a conversation about this. Like finally we have more to to talk about this and the discussions and the different things, the sectors of within the documentary was just so beautiful, so powerful. I think Subjects of Desire really dives deep into how North American beauty standards and ideas of desirability are kind of warped within racism and white supremacy and Sometimes, honestly, you as a black person, I feel like you can never really catch a break sometimes. Like it's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. You're just like, I can't even wake up in the morning and have a nice cup of coffee before all the crap of the world and all the racism of the world just comes to get you. Um, But yeah, continuing on with like some of the things that you talk about in the documentary, like you don't shy away from talking about the hard things, you know, colorism, misogynoir, desirability politics, um, black stereotypes, the sexual assault of black women. So I guess just thank you. Thank you again for just making the documentary. I guess my first question would be what inspired you to create this documentary? Well, that's, that's a um, thank you for that very beautiful introduction about the film. And, you know, what inspired me is, you know, I, I say this, I am a Black woman who's lived in the skin of a dark-skinned Black woman my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so that alone <laughs> could be the inspiration for making this film. But the other part of it is that I have three really beautiful and amazing daughters Um, powerful young women who, um, because I've been comfortable in my skin for quite some time, um, I, and I um, really promote like self-love. I promote um, being seen, what it means to be seen. You know, I try to have conversations. I listen to Oprah's podcast. You know, I mean, I, I, I felt like I did all the things right to communicate to my daughters how beautiful and important they are. And then I discovered um, when my oldest was about 15 or 16, I guess 15, that um, that 
she really didn't love and embrace her her beauty mm-hmm. um and that came out when um her white friends at the school the girl all girls school she went to um were valorizing her mm-hmm. and and i was actually surprised because it was kind of like this conversation but oh well, i love your booty and i love your lips things that she's just never really paid attention to or cared about and you know and oh your skin is so you know even and perfect or and i was like wow i later on i said wow like uh, like white girls i'll be like all upping our sugar and um and she started crying and she you know she's like i don't even know what they're talking about i don't you know she didn't like she expressed that she didn't feel that way about what they were saying and, and then i talked to my other two daughters well particularly my, my middle daughter and she had similar experiences and feelings and then i thought wow okay what what like i know that i know some of the stereotypes i knew some of what's going on but how entrenched is this that my programming was being eradicated like mm-hmm. there was a counter programming happening you know mm-hmm. and and i wanted to understand that and so that is why i made the film wow Wow. I have so many follow-up questions. Um, I guess what was your journey into being, because you said that you went on this journey of being comfortable within your own skin and finally kind of like stepping into your own and you felt that that was going to be enough for your three daughters, but then found that it wasn't enough. So can, can we have a little glimpse into your own journey? Yeah. Well, okay. So I do think that when you're young, when you're a young person between that, like I'd say like 10, 11, even until 21, 22, that's the most confusing because, and I think it's just like this, these, your body is changing all this stuff, but here's the thing, everything, when I was growing up, there wasn't Rihanna, there wasn't Lupita, there wasn't Beyonce, there wasn't I mean, there wasn't anything. There wasn't makeup. There was there was Naomi Campbell, and she was not necessarily centered in a in black culture per se, right? Mm. Um, and and so I grew up thinking that um, in my in my early teens, I grew up feeling like I didn't fit into the beauty standards. And I think what happened for me was when I went to university, I met my partner who was a black man, very talented guy. He's one of the top directors, uh, Canadian directors, uh, um, black man. And, um, you know, we carved out a life together. Hmm. And in that I had someone who I could, I could come home and like download and like, Oh, this happened. I could talk about microaggressions. I could talk about respectability politics. And here was this partner who saw me and loved me. And I I know it sounds cliche and stupid and whatnot. um, But that, and then also in going to university, I actually started to read about black culture and black history because it was not taught to us in Canada, in our Canadian history at all. Mm. And so there was shame. There was, I didn't understand slavery. I didn't understand how 400 years happened. I didn't understand. And there was a, there was a, a, there was a a focus of the narrative that we had been taught that glorified white culture, British culture. And I went very far from that in terms of my physicality. And so it wasn't until I'd say, like I said, university, when I first met my partner, as well as I started to do reading on my own. And then I have to say things, it it was things like um, reading Toni Morrison and, and, um, 
you know, um, just um, uh, <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, all of the, these mostly women, actually black women, um, you know, um, the narratives um, of black stories that I started to understand and get very comfortable in my skin. I have to tell you though, I had to, at some point, make mm. a decision that I was going to reject the standard, the white standard of beauty. I had to, mm -hmm. and I, I had to make that decision. And I had, and I literally, you know, we do this at positive affirmation. Well, I was doing it back then and I would get up and I would say, I'm beautiful. I'm brilliant. I'm strong. I can do what, you know, what I set out to do. Nothing will stop me. And, um, you know, and so that was a part of that journey. And it was painful because, you know, um, colorism was certainly something that impacted me. Um, uh, you know, like um, you had a very clear sense that fairer skinned black women had more options for marriage and dating and these kinds of things, you know. And, um, but, you know, I decided to not believe any of those those things that were being thrown at me. I didn't believe that I was there to service other. I didn't believe that I was just there to sexually service other. I didn't believe that just because I had a voice that meant I was angry or mean. You know, I, I rejected all of that purposefully. And that was that was a part of my journey. I had to think about it. I had to make a decision about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm just scribbling down notes here. I am like, oh my God, that's so good. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I do want to come back to this, but I'm going to come back to this later because it will fit in with one of the questions. Mm -hmm. um, but basically the premise of this podcast is to discuss areas of life which you've been misinformed on. And a little bit about the Miseducate podcast is very much, it was inspired by my own journey of self-love and coming into my own and kind of as you also said like researching black history where you've come from why it is that your experience has been the way it is especially as a black woman in a living in a white majority country so the miseducate podcast is basically just kind of like a like the project in which I've kind of chronicled my own journey and also allowed other people to chronicle their own journeys so that we can all have this kind of place where it's like, okay, I was miseducated here and this is what I had to unlearn. And this is how I'm now reteaching myself uh, about the areas of life that I've been misinformed on. And so in saying all of that, what is what do you feel that you've been miseducated on? <laughs> Pretty much everything. Oh my God. I mean, look, you know, I was ashamed of um, like uh, our history because what was taught to me was that we didn't contribute. Um, th that Africa was a place of poverty. Um, that the the that white colonizers were somehow heroes, <laughs> um, you know, um, that white beauty was, was actually the epitome of femininity. And again, I actually saw, like, you know, when I thought about this, um, 
we are very clear about um, anti-black racism when it comes to men and the police, um, you know, the police brutality, um, black males being, uh, especially in America, um, being shuffled towards prison, the prison industrial complex. Like I know that I felt because of reading Malcolm and Martin, I know I felt very strong. I had a real understanding of this. Um, but part of the miseducation is the fact that nobody paid attention to black women. Um, and so there was no value. We were not, we're not valorized in any of the literature, in television, in cinema. And one of the things you have to understand is that people understand, get most of their understanding of the world through film and television today. There was a time when it was mostly books and now it's film and television. And if everybody who's creating media and for the last hundred years either ignored black women or undervalued them or demeaned them or portrayed them in these stereotypical ways, then that's what we got. That's what we were taught yeah. about who we were. And unless you actually actively did counter programming, you know, um, you, you, you would go out there into the world thinking your hair was crap. You know, I mean, you, I mean, in my family, I'd heard words like good hair. I mean, we've all heard this shit stuff, you know, um, you know, um, I have three daughters. One of them is a little bit fairer skin because that's just how genetics works. Yeah. And I, and I, I've had family members say oh this one is so pretty me love this one with a Jamaican background and, yeah. I, and I would be like we are no longer visiting these relatives you know um mm -hmm. because these are things that were taught to them and that they were literally spilling over to us mm -hmm. and this dominant culture with these active narratives that were engineered mm -hmm. to control us um they were invested in those stories invested in mis keeping that miseducation going because that meant you could control black women. Um, you could ignore them, you could hurt them, you could harm them and no one notices. Um, and I'm talking about media, but you know, um, someone pointed out that if you actually look at film and television um, and media, um, even though white males are the heroes, white females are the centered center of the story for protection. So all these white males are working to protect a white female. Mm -hmm. And like, again, the black woman does not exist in that world. And if she's lucky enough in the old days to be the black best friend, she had no agency. She had no backstory. Her whole purpose was to support and, um, and, and be there for this white dominant, this feminine beauty. Mm -hmm. So, um, so all of that stuff, I, you know, it's, pervasive it is in it it literally has been growing up in everything I saw other than you know like I said um you know reading Zora Neale Hurston and you know Toni Morrison was a, a big impact on on me yeah. um you know um so it was it was that it was those it was that those work that got me to understand how I was mis miseducated and even then even then, because like I said, the focus was never on black women. Even then I understood it, but I never analyzed it. I never broke it down. It was, and it was because of my daughters that I wanted to do in this documentary, this comprehensive look. 
in a way that um, in some ways, um, the 13th did a comprehensive look at the prison industrial complex. I wanted to take a, a comprehensive look at black women and, and beauty um, because I felt that um, our beauty, all women's beauty is a source of power. And if you are outside of the narrative of power, that means that you're, I mean, out of beauty, if you're outside of the narrative of beauty, then you're, you are not afforded the same kind of power. And so I wanted to take a look at that. And I wanted to make that very clear that that's really what was going on in the film, as I tried to make clear anyhow, in the film, that that's what was going on, that it wasn't trivial, mm. that it was significant. No, I 100% agree. I think when you first started talking about how, especially within Black history, the erasure of Black women, it kind of reminded me of a section of um, Bell Hooks's book, Ain't I a Woman? And she, she says, like, you know, like historians have kind of provided the American public with a perspective on slavery in which the... Um, the most cruel and dehumanizing impact of slavery on the lives of black people was that black men were stripped of their masculinity. And she also goes on to say, you know, scholars have been reluctant to discuss the oppression of black women during slavery because of the unwillingness to seriously examine the impact of sexist and racist oppression. And I feel like there is this neglect of seeing women at the intersection of both of these just huge atrocities of the world and of that we have made as humans is this intersection of racism and sexism. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to see it. And so we're going to completely ignore it. We're going to completely erase the lives and the struggles of black women. And then following on from what you said, the only really portrayals of black women in media has been this supporting role we've been portrayed as these people that are you know the mammies and the ones that are just the black best friend the one that is just supporting you as supporting the white mostly white characters as they go on their own journeys and it's this idea of kind of like having to carry the burdens of everybody else while also dealing with our own and it's again it's another way to silence us it's another way to put us to the side and lead us and kind of keep us off as side characters, never with our own struggles, never to complain, because what is there to complain about if you don't have your own story? Or if you're told that you don't have your own story, that your story is not important. And I think it definitely, the next part definite of what you said definitely feeds into the next question that I have, because it's so true. Like beauty is, is a source of power, beauty is capital like beauty is capital and it's I think within the documentary it's not just um the talking about the intersection of race and and gender but also talking about how capitalism comes into feed into it because the beauty industry is a very is a very um a huge economic business um, it's one of the biggest. Yeah. I mean, Rihanna's a billionaire because she made a makeup line. I mean, she is a you know a brilliant artist in her own right, and in the decade or so that she has been performing, she has in three or four years made double mm. that 
because of Fenty and this idea that she she's had um, to look at all the different complexions and so forth. I mean, I look at um, the, 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 you know, the, the um, uh, was it Kylie, the Jenners or whatever. I mean, this gal, this young gal with no experience in the world makes a, a limp, lip plumping line and makeup and also becomes, I mean, the, the, the amount of money and capital that is connected to the beauty industry that actually feeds historically predominantly one version of beauty. Mm. It is, it is massive power. It is massive wealth. And it's, and, and, and it's also very much about who is seen, who is valorized. I'm, I'm sorry if I touch you off, but I, I, I just had to say that it's, 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 it's massive. And we have one of the tricks is that um, uh, of, of uh, Western culture and white supremacy has to pretend that the, that it that it's trivial, that mm. it's not important when they know that um, it is in fact very central to how women are are moving the world and how women are perceived, uh, how women are treated. How and again, you know, intelligence is is one of is is the number one thing um and compassion intelligence compassion kindness drive all of these things are really important in terms of how we develop our young people our young women in particular but anybody who tells you that your beauty is not going to be a factor in terms of how you're received in the world is lying a hundred percent a hundred percent agree i think it's interesting because like my next question is is why is it so important to focus and concentrate on beauty when, especially I think in the beginning of the documentary, it said, you know, 56% of college graduates are black women. They like black women are the most educated group in America. Why is it then that we as black women, if we're trying to empower ourselves, why should we focus on beauty as well? Why shouldn't we just focus on, you know, storming academia about building our own businesses instead of looking at Rihanna as, you know, this beauty empire? Why don't we just look at her as this like, I don't know, amazing girl boss with, you know, this amazing billionaire company? Why are we focusing on beauty and why are we now challenging it like that? Why does beauty matter? especially for black women, why should it matter? Well, it's a value system, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a giant value system and we all have very little control over it. It exists on its own as a value system. And he- here's the thing. I believe, you know, there's been a lot of conversations about black women being harmed in the medical industry. And I believe a part of that um, is that black women aren't valued in the same way. So when a um, when uh, something happens to uh, you know white women, um, non-black women, uh, but particularly white women, you know, um, you know there is <laughs> there is news story after news story after news story. When things happen to black women, um, it's not even seen. So, for example, I've seen multiple movies about. Um, uh, white women, young white girls, for example, in a, in um, being um, taken in and in, um, in in sort of a sex trade, um, you know, this kind of a thing, mm-hmm. and um, 
when I looked at the stats, um, black women, you know, the, the, the stats, like black women are something, if I can remember the stats now, it's something like um, 20, 20% more mm. black women are, you know, um, uh, you know, sort of um, taken and, and put into the sex trade. Um, but I've seen almost no films about black women in that environment. So that tells you that that value system that says white beauty, white women are valorized and black women are not, it actually impacts the material consequences of our lives, mm. right? So it's important because that value system impacts our material conditions, mm. you know? And so, um, I, and I know that it's uncomfortable for people to think about or to talk about, but it is actually true. You know, um, I had, you know, I have a British professor, uh, Dr. Dr. Widow in the, you know, in the film. And I had asked her, I interviewed her because she was one of the few professors who was looking at how um, the powerful nature, the power behind beauty. Mm. And, and, and she really, um, was able to, in her study of this, um, identify um, the, the material consequences of when you don't fit into the standards, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that like how Black women sometimes talk amongst ourselves about these things, but don't talk into the, into the, into the, into the larger society, we don't, we don't, push against it in a way to, to bring light to some of the, you know, some of the things that are actually hurtful and painful. Um, it's in a similar way. We don't talk about it because about beauty, because we think it's, we think it's like, it shouldn't matter. The thing is we have to get out of what should and shouldn't matter to what actually is happening in front of us. Yeah. What is the reality. And the reality is that material consequences, health consequences, um, poverty consequences, opportunity for marriage, uh, all of these things are consequences that come out of how Black women have been framed in the beauty paradigm. Yes. Yes. I couldn't. I can't even add anything anymore because it's true because it's not just beauty is not I think we have definitely as a society been conditioned to believe that beauty is just this like kind of oh she's so vain she's so obsessed with herself but really it's this idea of it's not about looking at uh, somebody looking in the mirror being obsessed with their appearance it's not really about appearance at all as you said it's about value and if you value something more than something else then that's what you want to protect that's what you want to strive after that's what you're attracted to that's what you desire and if you desire something and you're attracted to it and you want to protect it of course if you see something else that is kind of the complete opposite you're kind of like you're not of value to me so why should I protect you why should I acknowledge your existence and I think it's interesting that the tactic used when black women start to say you know desirability politics and we need to start looking at the fact that a lot of it's interesting that you know cultural appropriation especially in the beauty <laughs> industry and having like people like the Kardashians having lip plumpers and um using 
methods of beauty that have been traditionally and culturally and historically rooted deeply within the black community now mm-hmm. advertising and advocating for them and then when black women say something it's oh like why does it matter like why why are you talking about it surely you should be thankful that now it's in the foreground it's a celebration of culture but really it's you're taking you're erasing it's not just erasing the the cultural history and so the oppression and all of the the struggle behind even getting to a point where our beauty can be appreciated it's also just invalidating the fact that we are angry about it and we should be angry about it and we get to have the right to be angry about it so it's definite definitely I agree that beauty is not just appearance it's value is value uh, and it's power mm-hmm. and you, you know I, I have to say that um the whole thing about when I started doing the research on the documentary there was um I, I started to look into like uh the booty because when I was growing up there was jokes about black women having bubble butts and uh I remember uh there was this this white kid in my in my grade seven or eight class, and I still remember it. And he said something like, why is it that when the plane crashed, black people are safe? Um, uh, you know, and, and I was like, why? Because their lips and their butts are buoyant. So that means that our, because of our lips and our butts, we would float. Mm. So we wouldn't like, you know, uh, die in a plane crash, which I thought was completely horrific, the idea. And I remember um, like feeling like, although I had a cute shape and whatnot, I always felt like my butt was not the standard, that nice standard that was not to be made fun of. And so I started with, so when this whole thing about the butt, everybody's into the butt, people are getting butts, people are buying underwear butts, people are getting butts, butt implants, people are, the butt has become, I'm like, you know, rappers, like you see, they, they like the, 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 the images, the butt, the butt, the butt, what, mm-hmm. butt? And I was like, wow. So then I thought there'd be all this stuff about black women in their butts. And then it was like, Jennifer Lopez brought in the butt, Kim Kardashian's butt. And it was literally about white women's butts. Mm-hmm. All the articles that were being written were about white women with butts. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn. So you mean to say my butt is finally popular? And and then and, and it's all about white women. And then I actually talked to a friend of mine who's a lesbian, one of my best friends. I love her. Uh, she's Jewish. And I was talking to her about the documentary that I was trying to put together. So this is in the development phase. And she said, well, um, oh, I don't know if it's a, it's, if it's a black woman thing. I, I just, I think it's, I just think it's like, um, like Jennifer Lopez. And, you know, I think that, that they just, you know, they just have like butts that people want. And it's, 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 so she, she herself mm. never didn't cut, like make any kind of connection to that, feature that I know black women, particularly my generation were humiliated over. Mm. It just did not occur to her that that was something that was a black thing, even because, Mm. you know, as a white woman, uh, as a lesbian, not, uh, you know, thinking through the, the, you know, the paradigm of, you know, like beauty in the same way that some of us do, it just never occurred to her that this could be a thing. And I said, girlfriend, like black women 
This is, mm-hmm. this is the butt that we've had. And it was like, oh, and I, I was so shocked that it was just like for her, like, oh, it's just a fad thing and it's J-Lo and it's the Kardashians. So again, right? I, that's why in, in the film, I talk about black aesthetics and features, mm. even, even when I, you know, when you're, when you're young in particular, and you have that lean body as a black woman, it tends to be like a bit more muscular. So mm-hmm. what that basically means that you, it's not that we have so much mus- they were m- more muscular, but that you see a musculature in a more um, uh, natural way. Like I found that with my girlfriends, even the same size, you could see my muscle tone. And so now we have a fitness craze. A lot of people are working out, you know, um, I remember this conversation about Miss Obama's arms. Everybody was trying to get like that fit body. And I, what people don't even realize that the body type that was valorized for the longest time was this sort of like very um, feminine, no musculature, very slender, you mm. know. And, and so the body type that's actually really valued that fit body type is something that I, I, I felt like that was actually seen as ugly at one time mm. when it was on a black woman. And now like women in general are just trying to get that kind of physical. Um, and I, so I, so it's just like, if you actually look at how these things were described, when you look at the hot and top Venus, when you look at her body shape and you look at Kim Kardashian's body shape and you see that they're very similar, but one was demonicized. One was traipsed all over Europe, um, um, you know, in sex shows and demeaned, you know, and her body dissected, you know, and then the other one, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I use it in the film at parties to be gawked at. And then here you have, Kim K at parties being gawked at, but with like a sense of this is what we want. This is, yeah. I mean, these things, I, 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 you know, I just wanted us to, I wanted to make a film that really just said, take a look at this. Mm. How, how is it that these two things are the same, but in this case, it's valorized, it's upheld. It's, it's, it's actually driving uh, you know, a billion dollar industry. And mm-hmm. then in another it's ignored, it's, it's, it's unimportant and, and those kinds of things. So, I mean, I, I don't want to get trapped into the beauty thing for um, too much because I think for me, really it's, it, it has been about value and power mm. and when, um, and protection. And when those things are not necessarily um, what black women are being greeted with, then it has the material consequences. And I think that for me is, is one of the messages I wanted to get through. And I also wanted to have white women in particular understand that how they moved into the world, mm. um, not thinking about black women, not seeing us but also using, for example, their tears against us, using the, the value that's been given to them against us while at the same time calling us sisters. And while, say, you know, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to, like actually through the film, have something that could generate a conversation. Mm. You know? Yeah. Because I think that for the longest time, white women were not held accountable for the choices that they have made in, in the white supremacist system. It's mm-hmm. always been placed on, on men. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and uh, yes, they have, a, you know, white men have a lot to answer for, but so do the women. Yes. And, and, and I think that for me, I wanted to have, I wanted to make a film that could also bring that conversation about. So for example, you know, when I, I, I showed the film, um, I was in, um, in, um, I think it was, um, it was in the U S and, um, it was sort of like, um, Colorado, Mm-hmm. which, you know, and it was a very white community. And a white lady came up to me after the film and she said, you know, I want to thank you. And I said, oh, you know, thank you. I mean, I'm glad you really liked the film. She goes, I love the film. She said, I date black and Hispanic men predominantly. And she said, black men, all the men I've dated, she said, all have teared down black women. They have said a lot of negative things about the black women. And she said, and watching your film I see the other side for the first time. And I was like, wow, wow, right? Mm. So, so like I said, so it's, you know, it's, it's to also have conversations. It's to build allyship. It's to say that, no, no, you have to take responsibility for some of this behavior or for some of this, this, um, um, these narratives that you actually benefit from and have benefited from, you know, and you, you don't get to take from our culture without giving something back. You have to stand up and stand with, if you, you you know what I mean? So, so those are some of the things I think I tried, I tried to build in the narrative of making this film. Mm. No, it's really interesting that you say that because I think that sometimes, um, as you said, when white women are looking at black women, they kind of do this colorblind thing where it's like, we're all oppressed as women. So like, that's the thing we should be focusing on. We are all oppressed as women and not understanding kind of like the nuanced layers and the fact that you can't look at um sexism and racism as two separate things when it comes to black women you have to look them look at them like conjoined together and you have to look at the fact that even though like history and society have kind of presented white women as these passive demure oh we're the ones protecting you objectifying them like even though that is the position that you have been placed in you are still benefiting from having that place and you're benefiting on it from on the backs of black women. And so it is important to make sure you have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling current the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand, and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That you actively look at yourself and look at how you contribute to this kind of um, this narrative as well. I think it was leading on from that. I think it's I don't think it's just in that docu in your documentary that it was white women that were being kind of like um, asked to take responsibility, but also the fact that you involved conversations about colorism as well and being like, yes, as black women, yes, we are all, we all here suffering from misogynoir and the intersection of racism and sexism, but it's also layered within colorism because then you have lighter skinned people that are treated with more, desirability in comparison to darker skinned people and the kind of the the ways in which we have been pitted against each other to kind of see more desirability and more value in one over the other having more positions of power and getting further in the room to talk about different things when you have a certain lighter skin tone in comparison to darker skin tone did you in the same way that you had a a white woman say I've never thought about it like this and seeing the other side and seeing the perspective of black women did you also find that conversations about colorism were being um, (laughs) facilitated and started it's a really good question I think that uh, yes and no here's the thing it's like one of the young young ladies in the film in the round table she said that um she's she's sort of that mid she's kind of light-skinned and she has red hair it's her natural hair color Mm -hmm. and she has two black parents but they're light-skinned and she actually turned out to be the darker one and not that she's dark she's like not dark in any way but darker in her family yeah (laughs) and she said you know she didn't want braids in her hair she she um she all of her friends are lighter than her in a way that they people think that they're spanish and Mm. such and such and she said that Being darker skinned had never been, as far as her understanding as a 16-year-old person at the time, had never been the thing to be. Here's the thing. The difference here is that every light-skinned person I've come across is fully aware of that. And if they say they're not, they're lying. Mm. Uh, (laughs) So... I know in our community, lighter skinned people understand there is a value that is placed on them, you know, because she said people have been in their Insta thing, light skinned princess. And she said, I've never seen anyone or, you know, like, um, I mean, she's 16, so who knows, but, and maybe that's changing, but she's like, I, I, I haven't seen dark skinned princess or, you know, you know, it's like, it's, it's, um, and when someone writes lighter, light-skinned princess, you know, or browning or something, they're not doing it in a political way. They're mm. doing it and saying, look at me, I'm light-skinned, I'm fabulous, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, 
when if if a if a darker complexed young person puts dark power or dark, it's a political stance. Mm-hmm. It's actually saying we're countering. So what I'm what I'm saying is that the conversation is different in our community because we are fully aware um, uh, that when you walk into a club, if you're a girl mm-hmm. with your lighter skin friend, it doesn't matter if you actually have a cuter face or not. Mm-hmm they're going to get more of a certain attention, mm-hmm. particularly from our brothers. Mm-hmm. They might actually get less attention from, you know, like white, white guys mm-hmm. than they will from our brothers, for mm-hmm. example. Right. Yeah. And so the thing we have to really understand, and I, and I, and I, and I, don't, and I didn't maybe express it well enough in the film, but it's just, there's so much things you could, you, you had to say is that the lighters complected black folk, um, who until recently were just black um, and then Obama became the president and then everybody became biracial and they were not able to claim they're black and white. But up until then, when I was growing up, you were black when you had um, black DNA, no matter what you looked like. Mm. But these folks were the, and our sisters and brothers, because I, I, I don't, I don't actually care what I mean, black people are black people. And if you claim if you know, if you have the DNA and you claim it, I'm like, yay, rah, rah, rah. But the, I don't respect people who have that privilege and pretend it doesn't exist. And we have to really understand that um, during colonialization and slavery time, um, these were the sons and daughters of the masters mm-hmm. and, you know, and the overseers and, um, and they were, their brothers and siblings were in the, the big house <laughs> and they were having to take care of and, um, and, and, you know, of their brothers and sisters and, um, and their fathers and all these kinds of things. And what it has meant that, you know, no matter how evil the institution of slavery was, no matter how evil colonialization was, there, there were times when there was more value placed on the children of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of those in the system, mm-hmm. right? More so than the, the, the person in the field, mm-hmm. right? So from that culture of, um, of slavery and colonization, came this greater value mm-hmm. placed on i mean to the point was to the point when and i think you know i didn't get into it but you know we talked about like the the, the brown paper bag club and all these were black people saying you can't come in mm. if you don't have light skin you cannot be a member you are not um uh, uh, you know, a smart black person. You're not a, uh, uh, intelligent. You're not, you're not beautiful. And also, I mean, let's look at all the black men who historically gained money and power who could not marry white at the time and look at the complexion of the women they married. So we've seen it. I mean, Cosby on down, I mean, you know, there's lots of issues around Cosby, but you know, um, you know, Nat King Cole, I mean, Eddie Murphy. I mean, just like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we, so we know, we know. And studies have been done that shows, you know, that if you're actually lighter complected, there's more like, you know, there, even though there's less marriages in our community than in white communities, those girls 
tend to be the ones that get selected. And, you know, and these are things that we're, I think for the first time, really addressing. I wanted the film to spark that conversation, but mm. I don't think we can get it twisted. I don't think we can get it twisted at all. We know, we know. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, I guess my follow-up question would be is, even though we do know, even though it is something that is, we're all aware of it, why are we not taking responsibility from it for it? Because you see a lot of people when you bring up, oh, colorism, there's the eye roll, there's the here we go again, there's the we're still talking about this, there's the it's not real, um, there's the feeling that as soon as you bring it up, um, lighter skin people feel like you are now invalidating their black experience. So what is it that is stopping? And I don't even think it's just lighter skin people. There are darker skin people that are just like, well, you're just jealous of lighter skin people. It's not a problem. Why are we still talking about this? What is it that is stopping us as a community from really taking responsibility for colorism? Because yes, it was kind of birthed into the world by white supremacy but we as the black community are reinforcing it we're the ones doing it to each other as you said absolutely i think it's a bit of having your cake and eat it too so here's the thing i think people shouldn't get tripped up in the sense that being a darker complected person does not mean you will not find success love um you know that you you will not um, live in and stand in your power. Some of the wealthiest, smartest, most admirable women in the black women in the world are darker complected women. Okay. Mm. I was uh, Viola Davis. I mean, I keep mentioning Oprah, Gail King. These are all dark skin going back Nia long. I mean, say she's dark skin, but she was that mid complexion. I mean, I, I was mm. like, well, oh, I love me, you know? Um, so it is a lie to believe that you can't achieve or that you are not going to get what you put your heart and soul into because you're dark. That is the, that's the lie. Yeah. But here's the thing. It's, it's white supremacy is a part of the reason why people want to maintain another lie. And that lie is that lighter complected black folks are valorized in a different way, particularly in our community. Mm. We have been on the outside of power and dominance for as long as colonialism is, 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 is existed. Yeah. And what that's meant is that for black men, for example, uh, who they have not been centered. They were, they're not Superman. They're not, they're not the king of the jungle. I mean, this white man goes, uh, baby gets dropped off in Africa and he becomes the king of the jungle. And then the white, uh, the black men are running from him and mm. he can talk to the animals. I mean, it, every single, you know, Marvel on down, white men are the heroes. That's power. Mm -hmm. Black men have historically not have it in European and North American society. Mm -hmm. So, and what does a white man have at his side? White beauty, right? Yeah. And so as black men gain power, right? Yeah. They might, they might not want a white, um, a white partner, 
but they sure as heck want to get something as close to what it looks like on the arm of, of a white man. Mm-hmm. And we, we, that, that is white supremacy. And we don't want to admit that the impact of it filters down to us in mm-hmm. how we see the world. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is a part of white supremacy and we have absorbed it. Yeah. And so we have to take responsibility and break that. So one of the things I, I say to you know my girls, especially now that I've made the film and they've really seen what I was talking about, I say to them, like, you you know, don't you choose your partner. Like, like this idea that the choice is over there, that some, some, you know, like the choice is gonna be that this this black male or this white man is going to make the choice. No, you choose. Mm. You are the one that has to walk into the world and choose. You have to walk into the world. Like you're literally the most beautiful thing in the world because you are, because your spirit is beautiful, because your compassion is beautiful, because the work and the determination that you put into the world, that's beautiful. Right. And when you, when you understand that, right? Then no one can tell you any different. And so I do say to my darker complexed sister and my fair skinned sisters, right? You know, we have equal opportunity to go out there and do the thing that we're meant to do, but don't lie to yourself. You know, we have been under white supremacists that's pretended my, most of my life mm-hmm. that it didn't exist, that it was all in her head. Donald Trump came out and now Bust all that out. Everybody knows, you know what I mean? This awful shooting in, in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. like, it's, I have to tell you, people pretended white supremacy did not exist for most of my life. Mm. Black people pretended colorism didn't exist. It does. It doesn't mean that you're, that it's your only fate. That's the only thing. It's, like, it's going to be like, you're only going to get this. You're only going to succeed because you're like, it's not true but it is a factor and we have to take it into account. And I also want to add what's actually been really disturbing to me that as Oscar has um, uh, been exposed as being too white, yeah. as the BAFTAs have um, uh, like, have, you know, attempted to redress some of the issues. Um, I'm noticing particularly North American casting mm. that most of the movies and the shows that are now casting black women, they tend to be very fair skinned, mm-hmm. you know, and Zendaya, my kids love that show. Um, you know, they love euphoria. I'm not, I don't love it so much. Cause I feel like the drugs thing, but you know, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm a mom. I don't need to love it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I love Zendaya, but here's the thing. It's like, you know, she keeps getting role after role after role. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and who is the dark skin counterpart? Um, and it's not just her. There's a number of young sisters who are getting roles. Yay, rah, rah, rah. But yeah. we need to see the multiplicity of black women and girls. So that is why we have to talk about cal- colorism. That is yeah. why we have to call it out. And any light-skinned person who says that there is not privilege, not to say that they're not going to have black experiences because they're still black. Mm-hmm. But- there is a privilege, just like a poor white guy from the Southern state is no better off, you know, mm-hmm. than, you know, like, you know, the, the poor black guy in the same state, practically. Yeah, actually, there's a little bit better off, but, but just like how, 
<laughs> um, they have a similar life experiences. It does not mean like, for example, that when that poor white guy goes into a court system, yeah, right. They're going to take his tape where he shot, um, where he filmed the black man and they're going to hide it for, you know, two or three months mm. and, and say, Oh, you know, we have no, we have no evidence, uh, that, uh, it was a hate crime or that this, you know, this, you know, that this was a problem. And just like how that same poor white man literally offered up the tape and said, Oh, look, I didn't do anything <laughs> because it's like, that's white privilege. Yeah. You know, and these, like, he's not, these are not wealthy people. These, these people who murdered um, Ahmad Aubrey, they were mm -hmm. not wealthy people. They were like, in my mind, you know, um, lower income uh, white folks, right? Mm -hmm. But they thought their privilege would get them through. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If not for the phone, it would have gotten mm -hmm. through. There is yeah. no way that they would not have gotten off if that tape that does not exist. Now, maybe I'm rambling here, but what I guess I'm trying to say is that these are a part of the systems of white privilege and colorism. Although we do it to ourselves, it comes out of the system of white supremacy. And we don't want to acknowledge the, the ways in which white supremacy has filtered into us as well. Mm. No, I think you I think you articulated it and summarized it so perfectly because it's true. We don't want to take responsibility for the fact that even though we are victims of white supremacy, we have also perpetrated and kind of um, been influenced and been under the spell of white supremacy as well. Um, to my next question, because. You've brought up your daughters a lot during our conversation, <laughs> as well as they're also involved in the documentary and they inspired the documentary. Um, I guess, what is it that you have learned about desire and beauty from your daughters? Because you were saying that you didn't actually realize that your experiences had been different because you said at the beginning of the interview, you said, you know, I did everything right. And, you know, I, I knew self-love and I promoted self-love to them but still they had very similar experiences to you. So what is it that you did learn about desire and beauty from your daughters? Oh boy. Hmm. Well, hmm. what I learned, I think from them is that we, we as sisters, as mothers, um, we have to be vigilant we can't assume because it, because it, we can't assume that the, the dominant narratives aren't just as powerful um, because a few of us have gotten through. Mm. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, the other thing is that I don't really think in all of my self-congratulation, oh, I'm a strong Black woman communicating with my daughters or whatever. I don't really know if I had sat them down and had the conversations I've had since making the documentary or while making the documentary. And I think that what young people do is that they say in their minds, what they say is, 
I'm, you're my, you're my mom. You're going to say, you love me. You're going to say all the right things. And I think that I don't know if we do enough to really um, address this. Like, you know, like, do we, do we, do we show them the, do we like, you know, like, did I say, let's watch this movie and talk about it. You know, I, I don't know if I, I didn't do that as well. You know, I didn't, I didn't take it seriously, seriously enough because mm. I really have not focused on beauty in my life. Mm. Right. And I really hadn't focused on how women move in the world. Mm. I thought about what I was doing in the world, but I didn't think about how women moved in the world. So I really think that what I learned is that the conversations have to be deep. I learned that even if you tell them, it doesn't mean that they feel it. And, and I also learned that when they are surrounded by predominantly, in predominantly white spaces as my girls were because of the schools that they went to, that, that, uh, that is, that is something that you, you can't negate the influence of that. You cannot, you cannot underestimate the power of that. I mean, my daughters talked about, you know, one of my daughters talked about having a nightmare. Uh, a young Asian girl told her on a, on a bus when she was in a camp, you know, if, um, you know, it was slavery time and you were my slave, I wouldn't beat you. I, um, not unless you stole, then I would hit you, but then that would be to teach you a lesson. And this is what, like, I think my daughter was nine years old. This was an Asian uh, Canadian gal and she was white and Asian. And the funny thing is, is that this person, this young person saw herself as white and saw my daughter as obviously black, but the, the story she engineered in her mind about my daughter at nine years old was, was one where she was a slave. <laughs> and I, I love this. It wasn't like if you washed the thing badly or, you know, you didn't know how to dust. It's like, if you stole from, from me. Mm. So <laughs> the power of narrative, right? Yeah. You can't underestimate what that is. Mm. Wow. That was, that's, that's so interesting that a child would, would say that, but I guess it also just speaks to the power of, of white supremacy and just how we kind of view children as these sweet, innocent, like untaintable, let's not get them corrupted by the world and just how easy it is and how early that it starts. Um, But yeah, wow. um, This is my last question. I'm still kind of reeling on that story. I'm like, whoa, (laughs) that is a lot, especially because I'm thinking this is how I'm responding as an adult. But I'm thinking as a child, you're like, whoa, this is this is deep. This is a lot. <laughs> this is something that um, it's hard to really grapple with as a kid. But yeah, my last question is, um, 
So in all of this, in, in all of the documentary and all of the conversations that you've had with not just your friends and your daughters and also with yourself, how are you reclaiming beauty? How are you reclaiming desire and desirability? How do you and are you um, reclaim even the stereotypes about black women, because I think that was a very important thing within the documentary. We were talking about the angry black woman and and the Jezebel and the mammies. And how do we reclaim those things that have been kind of taken from us? And, you know, this idea of um, anger being turned into hyper anger, the angry black woman and our sensuality and, and our sexiness and being portrayed as the Jezebel and our nurturing side and the way that we care for others and fight for others and fight for ourselves and being kind of tainted and twisted and morphed into the mammy. How do we take, how do we just reclaim beauty? How do we reclaim our black womanhood? That's a very big question. That's a very big question. It's a big, beautiful question. <laughs> I think there's a couple of things that I try to do. One is that um, I try not to let other people control me with the things they put on me. Mm. So if someone puts on me this narrative because I'm a, um, a, a, a older black woman who is darker complected um, that I'm supposed to potentially mammy them or take care of them and you know you know or do all this stuff for, or if someone, because I am, uh, I'm a boss. I have my own company. I make film and television. And um, you know, um, if someone tries to put on me that when I ask for something in in a reasonable, uh, respectful way, as one should when um, one um, has authority, if someone then tries to use that to make me feel like um, my displeasure or my questioning is is the sapphire that I'm angry. I call them out. I actually, and not in a way of, uh, in an aggressive way, but I, I, I have decided that one of the things I will not do is let someone control me through what they put on me, the narrative mm. that they're trying to put on me. So I address it. I, I, I call it out. I expose it. I say, excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, are you saying that because I asked you to do this thing that I'm angry or upset this is something that um that uh is within my right uh is there let me understand what the actual issue here is because it certainly is not me asking you to do this work or whatever you know what i mean so these are some of the ways in which i try to communicate and again with clarity um with calmness but with complete um groundedness in set in self right mm -hmm. i know what you're doing and so I need you to explain to me what the problem is here. Mm. So that's one of the things that I've, I've tried to do. And I think it's been very effective because people have to really explain themselves. I don't need to explain myself. You need to explain yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's been helpful. And again, you know, you know, um, we get to be angry for sure. Um, but I, I, I definitely find that when you communicate in a very clear, calm way, it's very helpful to 
peel away the layers. The other thing is, you know, I was saying that when I was growing up, um, there wasn't a lot of makeup. There wasn't a lot of fun things for me to do because, oh my God, like she, she's the, like I just nothing. And so I didn't actually really like know how to do my nails or my eyelashes or, you know, I never wear mascara practically unless someone makes me up for something because I, I think I put it on uh, like years ago to poke myself in the eye and I was like traumatized. And because, and then I remember having, wearing blue eyeshadow uh, eye, uh, at the time and people were like, oh my God, like this, you know, it was, it was not cute. Um, the pink was not the pink that worked for black skin. So a part of my reclaiming is that I, there's so much makeup colors and palettes and things that I never used that I'm now experimenting with. You know, I love lipstick. I love lip color, you mm. know, I, and so whatever it is um, that's out there that I feel like a lot of times I don't care that much, but I, I, I am not going to let, um, you know, the lack of define who I am now, you know, that, so that lack doesn't get to define me. So now I'm like, Oh, let me see what's out there, you know? Yeah. And so I'm having fun. I'm having fun. And the last piece is it's, you know, we didn't talk so much about black women's hair, but I feel like black women do not need to apologize about whatever they choose to do with their hair. And I, and I know because back in the day, there was so much shame associated if you had this style, if you had weaves in or whatever, or, or braids even, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I feel like as a part of reclaiming um, my, um, my sense of black woman and beauty and so forth, and I, and I encourage my girls to do this, I tell them to do whatever they feel like any day they wake up. You know what I mean? And uh, although I have to say none of them have permed their hair um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm hoping they never do, uh, you know, like they get it you know, blown out straight or whatever. And so I just, you know, I, I, I think that we have to experiment. Mm-hmm. I think we have to find what makes us feel comfortable. And, and I think we have to have actual real conversations with people outside of our community about some of this stuff too. So mm-hmm. that's a part of all, like, you know, I feel like there's a bunch of things that we, what I'm doing to, to, to reclaim, um, to reclaim all of this and expressing um, a complete honesty um, around what's being, what's happening Mm-hmm. Um, what people are saying and how I'm feeling is, is, um, is something that I'm doing that I, I don't think I did historically. Yeah. Wow. Um, thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you so much for this interview. Thank you for um, just spending time with me talking about, I feel like I could have gone into so much more because <laughs> as you said, we barely touched the surface of some of the things that were discussed in the documentary. Um, I guess in closing, I just have this one last thing to say, because I mean, I was lucky enough to be able to watch the documentary, but I did find it quite difficult to find the documentary as somebody that's not within North America. So is there any places where us as the like British people or people within Europe, mainland Europe that can find the documentary so we can watch it for ourselves? You know, that's a brilliant question. Uh, You know, I was hoping that we would get a British sale in the UK because there's such a huge black population. Mm -hmm. And I know we were at um, Rain Dance and we were at the uh, we were at Buff, which is uh, the, you know, the um, black urban um, uh, film festival in the UK. And it's so it's it's the UK's fault. 
no one <laughs> has taken on the film. So if you know anybody who would like to uh, buy the film, um, you know, put it up um, in one of the UK channels, we are looking for a UK sale. I mean, so it's so you're right because it, it's, it's on Stars and it's on Hulu in the mm-hmm. US. Yeah, it, um, it's a couple of places in Canada, um, TVO, Crave, you know. But um, in in the UK, and we've also sold it to Australia. The Australians have beaten you guys. We sold wow. it to like uh, shameful America. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So step up, anybody who's hearing this, who is British a broadcaster, watch the film, reach out to me, I'll send you a link and let's get it into, um, you know, uh, into the British uh, landscape. Ironically, I did have an interview. One of my interviews was with a a British journalist and then she actually uh, uh, jumped into this conversation about Rachel Dolezal. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, it was very much like a TMZ type of article where it was like, oh, she, she's, it's a, you know, she really enjoyed the film. It's a great film, but why does she have Rachel Dolezal? And there was all this talk, talk, talk about Rachel Dolezal. And I'm like, well, the film's not actually about Rachel Dolezal. Um, You know, so, so there was a bit of, there was a moment where there was um, uh, some um, conversation happening in the UK about the film, but not ironically, it was about the mm. in the film. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that's such a shame because there's so much more to the documentary than that one part with that one person. But yeah. no, but until 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 you know Britain gets their act together and you know finally is able to purchase the documentary, we're gonna ha- we're all gonna have to be using our VPNs, guys set it to America or Canada or even Australia because they've beaten us as well. So we can definitely support and watch this documentary and hopefully start conversations with our friends and families and loved ones and also with ourselves. But as I said before, and I will say again, and I will say probably a million more times, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on the podcast, for sharing and for this documentary. So yeah, thank you. Oh no, absolutely. Uh, it was a pleasure, Sarah. It was a pleasure to talk with you. And I, 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 I mean, I hope people listen in. And yeah, they could send me, um, you know, I'm on Insta. You know, they could send me um, like questions, whatever. And also, last but not least, and I'm terrible about this, but go on IMDb if you watch the film, rate the film. Black films are often underrated or people target us uh, for negative uh, reviews. The film has gotten some really great reviews, some excellent reviews, in fact. So go on IMDb, write a little, write a little um, review or just vote for the film. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. What an interview. Um, As we debrief, I think firstly, I want to say a massive thank you again to Jennifer. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Thank you for your your wisdom, your knowledge, your insight, your opinions, your perspectives. But ultimately, thank you for just doing this documentary. Honestly, watching it was so amazing. And it's really annoying that it isn't yet. It hasn't yet been distributed within... um, in the UK and kind of in mainland Europe because it is such a beautifully made documentary. It is something that is, I definitely think that if you're a black woman, like gather your friends, try and find it. Um, 
use your VPNs, watch it with your friends, have a glass of, of pink Moscato and just enjoy. And as much as yes, it is, it is, it does feel at points. Actually, no, I was going to say sometimes it feels heavy. It doesn't. I think it's just a, throughout the course of the documentary, it's, it's black women just sharing their truths, but also being celebrated at the same time. And I think that's really important for us as black people, especially when we're talking about racism and trauma and all this different stuff. I really loved having this conversation with Jennifer because I think for me, it highlighted how, and the documentary as well, highlighted to me how important it is to talk about beauty and how we try to sweep it under the rug and make it seem like it's not that big of a deal, especially because it is placed heavily on women to adhere to. It's placed so heavily on women. And then when it's looked at as a woman's issue, in the eyes of how patriarchy operates and in the eyes of how patriarchy works, it's very much seen as, okay, so if it's a woman's issue, then we don't have to listen to it. We don't have to give it its due diligence we do, because it's technically, it's not important, it's irrational, it's hysterical and it's kind of like, it's uh, what's the word? It's basically just swept under the rug because it's made to seem like it's not actually important when really it is. The beauty industry is a multi- I don't even would I don't even think I can say billion. It is a multi like zillion trillion. I don't know what goes up after that business. It is a business and it works off of all these intersecting factors of patriarchy, of racism, of capitalism. All of them feed in together. And it's interesting because at the end of the um, documentary, one of the many black women that are featured within the documentary, um, Ryan, she says, you know, I wish that we were only fighting to be beautiful. Like, I wish that, she was basically saying, I wish that as a black woman, that we were only fighting to be seen as beautiful. Like, and it was only to be seen as beautiful and as desirable. But for a black woman, it's more than that. It's more than that. It's more than just, you know, Fenty. It's more than just being able to to say, you know, mi- like pageants and be like, I'm a Miss Black America or Miss America or Miss Universe or Miss World or whatever the title may be. It's more than that. And once we start giving it its proper respect, once we start giving it the space to really listen, to really investigate and analyze, as Jennifer has done with this documentary, we start to see that it's way more complicated than just, as I said before, a Fenty concealer and having multiple different shades of foundations. It's more than that. Lastly, I just wanna say that I'll actually be taking the month of July off. So there won't be a mini episode or a full length episode next month, but that is just so that I can relax and recuperate. Um, And already we've got 15 episodes and I think here is a really good place to like have a bit of a break. And also for those of you who haven't caught up on previous episodes, now is your chance. Again, as I said, there's only 15 like full length episodes and then there are mini episodes in between, but I think it should keep you satisfied to when I have more time to be more creative 
more time to give you quality episodes and quality interviews with many more guests. Whether old or new guests, I'm sure that the the conversation will be fruitful and inspiring and yeah. So yeah, I'm taking a break. I'm taking a break. I'm taking a break. But anyway, I want to know, how are you reclaiming beauty and desire? Let me know. And you can let me know by following Miss Educate on social media. The information will be in the description box below. Additionally, so will the Miseducate blog, where you can now listen to these episodes, along with a few additional notes from yours truly. And while you're there, don't forget to add your email to the subscription list so that you don't miss out on new posts. And lastly, continue to watch, read, listen, educate, and then re-educate yourselves. I want to say one last time, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for the documentary. Please, please, please continue to support Jennifer with all the different documentaries that she is doing. Oh, I should say here that No Harm, which I mentioned when I was introducing Jennifer, is actually in its development stage. It's not soon to be released yet, but please do keep an eye out on that um, and continue to support Jennifer. Um, Reviews on IMDb, watch the documentaries, if you're able to, if you are a distributor in the UK, please, please help us this out. Um, but yeah, continue to support her. Um, and yeah, continue to support Miss Educate too. And make sure to rate, review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this podcast with a friend. And tune in next time for another discussion on the Miss Educate podcast. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.